Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'm going to present the first of a five episode series covering five really important topics, things like tax, cash flow management, investing in property and shares and so forth. So the first one is all about tax. Now, of course, no one wants to pay any more tax than they absolutely need to. We want to make a contribution to society, of course, but we don't want to go out of our way to donate any more than we need to because I'm sure most people agree the government isn't spending it wisely enough, as the late Kerry Packer used to say. So part of saving tax is really knowing what you're doing and, and knowing how the tax law applies. And that's what I thought I would address in in this podcast episode in the first of this five-part series. So let's talk about income first. I want to talk about income. I want to talk about deductions. I want to talk about capital gains tax and then kind of wrap it all up on how do you bring it all together. So of course, income we earn attracts a tax liability, but some income or some amounts of money we receive don't earn don't attract that tax liability. And it's important to really understand what distinguishes those two things. So there's two measures of taxable income. The first one is income called income according to ordinary concepts. And the second one is what's called statutory income. So there's three with respect to the first one, which is income under ordinary concepts. There are three principles there or three categories of income. And they're sort of rooted in law and case law and so forth. And the the first one is rendering a personal service. So if you render a personal service and you get rewarded for that, so receive some sort of monetary compensation, that income, that money will typically attract a tax liability. It's the most common one, of course, for, for people in a POIG employment situation. Secondly, if we own property or assets and those property and assets generate an income, that will also tend to be taxed or attract a tax liability. So that's things like rent, interest, dividends, those sorts of things. Uh, And then carrying on a business. So things like, and whether you're carrying on a business, the ATO is going to look at things like the reputation of your, you know, whatever activity you're doing to generate income, the volume and regularity around it. You know, are you organizing in a business-like way or, you know, keeping records in a business-like way? Is there a profit-making tension? You know, so if you've got sort of some hobby that you're doing and you might, you know, for example, painting and you sell the odd painting, not not all the time, but just here and there, it's unlikely that the ATO is going to regard that as a business. That's more incidental. Whereas if you are a painter and, you know, you, you paint a, a series of 10 paintings and then display them in an art gallery, that starts to look more like business and less like a hobby. So there are the three, personal exertion, income from assets and property and carrying on a business. As I said, there is another category called statutory income. And that's when the income doesn't meet the definition of ordinary concepts, but is specifically included within the law. So that's things like, capital gains tax, which we'll talk about soon, franking credits, redundancy payments, those sorts of things. So whilst they might not fit into the ordinary concept category, there might be something in the legislation that that includes them specifically. There There are some incomes, like I said, if you're a hobby and you generate incidental income from that hobby, 
that's unlikely to be considered taxable income. But, but things like in Australia, if you win tax lotto, so win full gain, you know, that, that doesn't, that's not either statutory income nor income according to ordinary concepts. And that's why that tends to be tax free. Okay, let's talk about the more important element, which is tax deductions, because that's what most people are really interested in maximising, of course. So there's a general tax deduction provision in the tax legislation, and it says, and I can quote, you can deduct a loss or outgoing if it's incurred in gaining or producing accessible income, unless there's a provision in the Tax Act that prevents you from deducting it. So therefore, there needs to be a direct nexus with gaining or earning accessible income. That means it needs to be necessary. You know, it's not just a a nice to have. So for example, if I'm in terms of nexus and a connection, I'm an accountant, I'm a registered tax agent. If I go and study psychology, for example, well, that's not going to help me generate more income from being a tax agent. And so I don't, if I don't have any income that's associated with providing psychology services, then you know that, that expense is more likely to be capital and therefore not tax deductible. If I go and buy a, sometimes we come across this, if I go and buy a really fancy bag from a designer store to carry my laptop around in, you know, that doesn't enhance my ability to generate income from my occupation. There's no direct nexus there. However, if I go and study masters of tax or something like that, that that increases my knowledge and that is most likely to be tax deductible because it does enhance my ability to earn an income. So really when thinking about deductions, you really got to think carefully about, can I demonstrate to the ATO that there is a nexus here, that I have to incur this expense or incurring this expense or either ensure that I earn an income or increase my income earning capacity. There are certain specific rules around certain tax deductions like car expenses, clothing, work from home, educational expenses. These are typically included in occupational specific guides that the ATO has, and I'll include a link in the show notes, of course. Check out some of those guides and that'll that'll really help help you make sure that you're capturing all the tax deductions that you're entitled to. Some common deductions can include work-related expenses and particularly more recently working from home. Uh, super contributions are really a, a really effective way of reducing tax, claiming a tax deduction for making personal contributions up to your concessional contribution cap, which is $27,500 is a good way to reduce taxes. Managing tax affairs, so paying for someone to prepare your tax return and give you tax advice. Donations to deductible gift recipients. You know, we know donations are quite tax effective. And then, of course, any investment-related tax deductions, negative gearing being probably the most common there. So they're just some common tax deductions that we would see. The reality is, though, employees don't have a huge scope to minimise tax and claim a lot of tax deductions. And so my general advice to PAYG employees is to really focus on making sure that you don't be double taxed. So that is that whilst you might not be able to avoid, avoid tax on income, certainly don't pay tax again on what you've done with that income. So that is what I'm talking about there, investing in a way that's really tax effective so that you're minimising tax on any investments and maximising any tax benefits from investments 
because you've already paid enough tax already to be able to you know acquire those investments so that's where i would encourage people to kind of focus on let's talk about capital gains tax and how that works and just give you a, a really rough idea on how to calculate capital gains tax liabilities so if you buy a capital asset which is really can be any real property as in real estate shares bonds whatever it could be any investment now of course most people know that we there's a main residence exemption which means that if you are occupying a property that you can you can avoid uh, paying capital gains tax on that asset but of course I'm not talking about those sorts of assets and the reality is that if you own that asset and you sell it and you make a gain that that gain is taxable if you've owned that asset for more than 12 months only half of the amount is taxable and so to calculate the capital gains tax liability, you really need to compare the difference between two figures. The first figure is the assets, what's called the assets cost base, which is really how much the asset cost you to, to buy it, which, you know, that, that can be the, the acquisition price plus any related costs associated with that, either expenses incurred before you actually purchase that asset or as a result of purchasing that asset. So for property, it's going to be the, the purchase price plus stamp duty plus legal fees, maybe a buyer's agent if you use one, and so forth. Now you have to reduce the cost base by any depreciation claimed because you've already got a tax suction for that. So if you claimed any depreciation in relation to that asset, then obviously that needs to come off the cost base. The next figure is the net sale proceeds, which is really what you sold the asset for, less any selling costs. And again, with property, because it's the most common asset, the selling costs can include uh, the real estate agent's fees to sell it, legal fees, staging, advertising, you know, those, those sorts of expenses. And that, that will help you calculate the net sale proceeds. So the difference between net sale proceeds and the cost base is your gross capital gain. And if you multiply that by 23.5%, assuming you've owned the asset for 12 months, uh, that'll give you a, a rough estimate of, of what the liability will be. So if your gross gain is 100000 23,500 is probably around about your, well, it's not going to be more than 23,500 is your tax liability. So you keep three quarters of whatever gain that you've made, which is a pretty good outcome. I mean, we lament paying capital gains tax, and so we should. We should lament almost paying any tax, but it's not that prohibitive. You know, you end up still keeping the lion's share of the capital gain. If you're selling an asset that is related to a business, what's called an active asset, there might be small business CGT concessions that you can utilize to potentially avoid all gains. So if it's a business asset, certainly speak to your holistic accountant about that. So let's wrap it up then and talk about, well, how can we use this information as the introduction to kind of help us save tax? Well, the first thing I want to point out is that the onus is on you, the taxpayer. You have the full burden of proof. And so that means that if, if the ATO audits you and challenges you on any particular tax deductions or anything on particular tax treatment, if you can't prove and demonstrate why that treatment is correct, they will just deny the deduction. They don't have to prove to you that the deduction is wrong. You have to prove to them that the deduction is correct. And if you can't do that, it'll be denied. So there's a very high burden of proof on the taxpayer to make sure it gets it right. And that's because we've got a what's called a self-assessment system, which means that we will self-assess our own tax liabilities. And then if we're subject to an audit, of course, we've got to go out and prove that. 
That means if you pay a registered tax agent to prepare your tax return and you instruct them over certain treatment, if they don't push back, like for example, they don't believe that treatment is correct, but they don't push back on it, doesn't mean that you're in the clear. You still accept 100% liability if that is if that is wrong. Now, if you are wrong in your tax return, either purposely or unintentionally, you will end up paying three costs. You will pay for the tax that you otherwise should have paid. You will pay penalties, and then you will pay interest on that amount. And the interest rate is north of 10%. The penalties will depend on whether you were just careless or in- intentionally deceptive, and the penalties will be between 25 and 75%, depending on you know, what the ATO assesses, whether it was a an error or or something you did, you've been a little bit dodgy around. So it's really just not worth it, firstly, to try and attract or risk attracting the ATO's attention. And then even if you, and if you don't get away with it, you end up paying a lot more in tax and interest and so forth than you otherwise would have. So the answer is do two things, keep really good records, make sure you communicate effectively with your accountant and get yourself a really good accountant, particularly if you're situation is a little bit more complex. If it's if it's really simple, then you probably don't need an account. It's fine. But it, the more complex your arrangements get, the, the, the more important it is that your tax return is drafted correctly, because if it's drafted correctly, it will reduce your chances of an audit, which you don't want to go through. And then secondly, a good tax account will make sure that you're minimizing tax. Okay, so hopefully that's given you a really good intro into how the tax system works and how the legislation works and so forth. Very basic introduction. Uh, Look out for the next four weeks uh, in this series of five for some more fundamentally important topics. That's it for me for this week. Bye for now.